0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's your old buddy guest, Jonathan James Ramtram, reporting live for duty here on this May 5th, 2016, how the hell are you? Over here with my buddy Dave, Dave Carboneau, good buddy. Chuckle Buddy. Guess here? Guess what? Guess what? Guess what? Guess what? Guess who? Chuckle Buddy. Guess what? John the James Rand forever in line for duty here on May 5th, 2016. Ugh, feeling real lousy. Just really down and out. Good for nothing. I wish you guys could see me right now. I'm like, lawyer bricks around in the yard while people walked by and stared at me. Wasn't too bad in the fresh air. And if it's good enough for Drake, it's good enough for me. So I enjoyed it. Ain't a Polish sausage from in front of the Rogers Center on Front Street. And John had a Polish sausage sour. Drop your cacks and grab your sacks. Wagwan, what's happening, folks? It's your old Chuckle Buddy. Guess who? Jonathan James Ramcharan. Reporting live for duty on this magnificent June 3rd in the year of our Lord 2021. Welcome and bienvenue to Jonathan Ramcharan, the podcast. Howdy folks. Welcome to Grounded in Your Business, Part 2. This program has been sponsored by the Dildo Foundation. Cunts for kids and viewers like you. Knock it off, you knucklehead. All right, you knuckleheads, knock it off. Enough with the fucking gags. Let's get down to brass tacks. So welcome to part two of Grounded in Your Business. If you're new to the show, Jonathan Ramter and the podcast, this is a show where I bitch, whine, squawk, bellyache, and kibitz about myself in order to relate to y'all self. Y'all the dear listener. Y'all the dear viewer. Shared experiences, kindred souls, BFFs forever. Yeah. The show is available on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, my own website, janathan ramcharancom And as always, folks, if you're enjoying the show, getting some laughs, chuckles, gags, guffaws, chortles, if you are digging the show, folks, please help my black ass out. Share me with a friend. Sharing's caring, folks. You know, it truly is. Yes, and part two of Grounded in Your Business, this episode is, um, you know, the second installment of the previous episode that I did, hence part two. We're talking business in the time of pandemic. We're talking the importance of being grounded in your business. In your endeavors, when you go out there in the working world, this is something that's obviously, I mean, on the minds of many people during pandemic and going into post pandemic. How are we going to align ourselves? How are we going to build our careers? How are we going to pick ourselves up? And how are we going to find meaning in our work? which is so important and it runs very deep, obviously, on the financial level, the physical level too, you know, you got to work to keep your health up, you got to be able to finance a healthy lifestyle. And most importantly, spiritually, for myself, spiritually, it's very important to be grounded in my business. Because The Fruits of the Spirit is what delivers me from the everyday pettiness of this cold, calculated, cynical, but fucked world. So let's get into it. The opening track, if y'all dug the opening music to this episode... That was a comedic music project that I worked on very briefly with a pal of mine, Dave, back in uh, 2016. And I had mentioned that little musical project on the previous episode because it was very much in correlation to the working person and what's going on. I think in many societies. So let me, um, you know, give a little background to that opening bit, that little musical number from the top of this program. See Dave and my Dave and I, Dave's a I still consider him a pal, but we had a falling out. Now Dave and I, um, back in 2016. You know, we had gone through a lot together as friends, you know. We had both been homeless at one point. That's how we met. At a homeless shelter, you know. Living life as a grimy. Real life grimy. Now the problem's behind me. But yo, living that life as a grimy, you know. Getting drunk and high every day. Living in a men's shelter, you know. Struggling young artists, you know. I was a stand-up comedian slash actor, he was a DJ, you know, trying to, you know, do his ting. And, you know, we connected. And I still consider Dave a pal. Very smart, insightful, introspective, a kind soul. But also, as we started to have a falling out, the day-to-day of life was starting to get to him. I don't want to go so much into his business, but he very much projected a negative vibe. It was like he did a 180, the Dave I had known in recent years through work and life and, you know, the grinding of time. He started to have a real negative kind of cynical outlook and it made it hard to be around as a friend. So um, you know, the night that we recorded that little musical bit, you know, me and Dave, were hanging out, you know. We'd busted our ass all day as temporary laborers. you know what I mean? And we're just gagging on a joint, you know. <laughs> you know, cracking a couple bubblies, a couple brews, you know? <laughs> you know, smoking cigarettes. You know, real bohemian. He's got a little, we're at his pad, we're at his place. He's got like a little DJ setup, um, you know, mixing board, you know, all the little studio equipment, a microphone. Yeah, just for shits and giggles, you know, I want to get loose better than Mother Goose, you know. Get loose better than Mother Goose. I want to rock right now. I want to rock right now. I'm like, yo, hand me, hand me that motherfucking mic, motherfucker. Right? So, you know, we get to, you know, chopping it up. And, um, you know, we thought it'd be like a interesting little comedy music project. Ah, just for shits and giggles, right? We're artists. So, in the course of the production, you know... Um, I'm doing my ting, I'm laying it down, I'm spitting it, spitting that hot fire. And at some point, Dave, he kind of turned to me and he goes, "Um, Who cares? Who cares that we are construction workers? Who cares that we're temporary laborers? Who cares if we're busting our ass out there for minimum wage? Who cares? Like snapped on me. This is like a buddy of mine. And um, I was talking about this on the last episode, and it's like, if you recall from the recording, I was doing a little comedic bit about being a temporary laborer, working temporary laborer gigs in downtown Toronto, crummy, rotten pay, you know, getting shortchanged on a paycheck as a temporary laborer, getting worked, getting overworked. And that was what I was talking about. That was my subject matter in my routine. And I remember I was like looking at him, like, wow, like what differing perspectives. He's like losing his temper and freaking out on me because I'm talking about things that are, I guess, I guess I triggered him or I upset him in some of the things I was saying. (laughs) You know, you're never above bombing in front of your fucking friends and family as a comic. I guess I bombed in front of him. I don't know what it was. I guess I triggered him. You know, I didn't know he was that delicate. You know, he got a little bit fucking, you know, got a little hot around the collar, a little twisted up in the panty loons, you know? And he, I don't know, he got, who cares that we're temporary workers? Who cares that we're construction workers? But my perspective was like, yo, like, I'm talking about, what our society is built around. Work. Everyone has to deal with work to a certain extent. In every aspect, really. You know, nothing's free. Even when you're on the dole. Even when you're on welfare. Even if you're collecting a disability. You know, a disability, that's a slippery slope because, I mean, if you're truly disabled... God bless you. There's certain limitations. But most certainly when it comes to like welfare or, you know, just, I don't know, sponging off your parents, sponging off a wealthy relative. There ain't no free lunches. Like that comes with a price. You're not just collecting a free paycheck. You are selling yourself to the government. You're selling yourself. You're saying, this is what I'm worth. I'm willing to just sell myself out to lay around all day doing nothing. And you steadily disintegrate. It's not a pretty look. You know what I mean? Like, have you ever seen these type of people? you ever been like walking by like a Tim Hortons or a coffee shop and you see those people just (laughs) just babbling on a bunch of nonsense day after day, smoking cigarettes, drinking coffee? Oh, yeah, you know, so I saw Jeff the other day. Like, Where are you going, buddy? He's like, well, fuck, you know, I'm all, I went down to Walmart the other day. and They told me that, you know, I was trying to buy one of them, uh, what do they call it, like a portable DVD player. So, the, you know, I'm trying to buy a portable DVD player, and, and you know, they're telling me that it's not on sale. And I'm like, hey, hey, cut the shit. Oh, I saw the flyer. These nonsense discussions they get into, and it's just like, you ever see these people and, you know, I'm not punching down here, man. I grew up poor. I don't feel poor. I don't, you know, I could basically afford anything that I want. But like in a worldly sense, by the world's estimation, I guess I am technically poor. I grew up poor. I grew up on welfare. So I'm not punching down at these people. You know, I live amongst these people. I've seen these people. I know what the life is. And, you know, let's be fair. You know, some of the worst people in the world are the rich. Some of the worst people in the world are the poor. You know, there's shitty people on every aisle, every side of life. So, you know, back to the point, ain't nothing free. Just because you're handed a free ride, that comes with a price. You're selling yourself. And the world of work is something that touches everyone. I don't just say these things to say them. And that's what I was trying to get across to in my performance, in that little musical routine at the top of the show. That was kind of the point. I was trying to speak on some of the things that were going on with me in my work life in hopes that it was relatable to others, have some levity, have some comedy, have some hope and, you know, drop it like it's hot. Well, Dave, the DJ, you know, he lost his shit on me. Who cares that we're construction workers? Doesn't matter. Who cares that we're getting paid minimum wage? Who cares? You know, life's this, life's that. Fuck it. Who cares? Right? And that's my point. Everyone should care. This is Our lives, our livelihood, our well-being we're talking about. And also very important, be careful of the company you keep. I mean, that's a friend of mine, and he's still a friend of mine. I mean, we had a falling out. We're kind of, you know, we haven't spoken in a while. I still consider him a friend. But, you know... And I don't think it was anything malicious, but it's like that's how cynical and unfeeling the world can be. We live in a world of cynicism, motivated by self-interest. Nobody really cares. That's a friend of mine. That's a fellow artist. We're collaborating on a project, and he just, yo, know, just turn coats, just turn coats on me, turncoat. Dissing my shit and, you know, talking down on what I'm trying to do. It's like, you don't see the irony in that? I talked about in the the bit, in the routine, in the recording, in that little musical number. I talked about how, you know, we had been temporary laborers, getting misused, this, that, and the other. And then he turns to me and tells me, what's with my choice of material? It's no good. Who cares? Who cares about us as construction workers? I'm talking nonsense. Okay, so we just went through a full day's work of being told that we're basically idiots. We're nothing. We're only worth minimum wage. We're getting used and abused. That's what the world's telling us. And you're telling me, who cares that the world doesn't care about us? So then, what is your solution as a friend? What was his solution as a friend to shit on me? To shit on my performance? To shit on our project? It's a little ironic, isn't it? That's the point. Nobody cares. And if you want to get somewhere in life, you got to... Think for yourself. Pull yourself up. Stand up for yourself. Spit your truth. Yo, that's not who I am. They're telling me that I'm some stupid day laborer, worthy of minimum wage, stupid, lowly, grunt. Hey, shithead, go take out the garbage. Go mop the toilet. Go get us coffee. Stupid, shithead, dummy, dilettante. You lazy, low down, shiftless, rotten, spineless, crummy, good for nothing, lay about, louse about, bubble guppy, you rotten, good for nothing, scum bucket, two tears in a bucket, motherfucker. go get me a fucking coffee, shit brick, no, actually, I'm a fucking artist, dummy, and that was my moment to do something in my day to represent who I am. The world will tell you that you're no good, you're nothing, you're an idiot. But what the fuck do they know? They don't know dick about dick. They don't know dick about diddly squat. And you know, you got your own friends and family who will even chop you down if you're not paying attention. You know? And it was nothing malicious on Dave's part, but that just speaks to what I'm saying. It's like, you got to be careful of the company you keep. He was going through a very dark time, and it was projecting. He projected projected it upon me. And, you know, you got to be aware of those things in life. Very much so. And, you know, because no one's just going to do it for you. You got to do it for yourself. And we're seeing that in this time of pandemic. Things can just be taken away, shut down. Essential? non-essential. You know? People just making the rules. Signs everywhere. Wear a mask, don't wear a mask. You know? Um, you know, vaccinations, quarantines, indefinite layoffs. You got to think for yourself and move for yourself, you know? And there ain't no such thing as a free lunch, you know what I mean? Um, One thing that comes in mind as well is, um, you know, as I mentioned, you, you get the heartache and pain from the world that a lot of times your talents and value can just be cast aside You got to fight your way through and then you even have your peers. As I mentioned, Dave, you know, he unwittingly, I think it was nothing malicious, but you know, he was chopping at my creativity and I've had other situations too, which reinforces that idea that there's no free lunch and you got to be weary of the company you keep. You got to be awake to the company you keep because, you know, it's not only the world that can be against you and just blind to their fellow man in the everyday situation. It could be your friends and family. I have a diploma in theater arts. I'm an actor extraordinaire. And when I was coming out of theater school, um, I had this opportunity to work on a new play. A peer of mine, um, a fellow classmate, he had written a stage play and he offered me one of the starring roles and he set up a little tour. He set up a tour, was going to go through a couple cities in Canada. And, um, you know, this was a situation that, you know, a lot of people find themselves in in the working world. You come, up a, you come up with an opportunity, you want to jump on it, but it, it just truly wasn't the right fit. I know that I didn't quite like this person, and I'm pretty sure that person didn't quite like me. Nothing in particular, the writer, director of this play, he didn't quite like me. At least that's my assumption. I kind of got the vibe that he didn't quite like me as a person. I didn't quite like him as a person, but we saw it as a mutual benefit to work together. And that happens a lot of times in business. You know, you don't quite like the setup, the situation, but you're blinded by your wants, right? So, you know, we saw it as a mutual benefit. Even though we weren't really on the same page, uh, just we didn't really click as peers, as friends, as business partners, as as people that we'd want to be around. But we both knew that, okay, we're both kind of grinding. We're both kind of doing things in our career. It, It might not be such a bad idea to try to work together. So he offers me the role in his play. I take it. And um, suffice to say, it was kind of a shit storm from the beginning. I mean, everybody was pretty unhappy. Myself, the other actress, the stage manager, I'm sure he was upset himself. He must have had expectations. It was just kind of a bust, right? So we're on the last leg of the uh, production tour, you know, where we toured the play, the stage play. We had toured it to a couple independent festivals. He had set it up. So we're on the last leg of the tour and um, we're in his home city, his hometown. His father, his father and his stepmother invite us over for dinner one night. The director and the writer of the play, the writer-director. His father and his stepmother invite us over for dinner. I don't know anything about his father, but I can say that his father was drunk that night. He just was. You know, he was a little tipsy when we showed up and then he was having a few more drinks and hey, whatever. You know, I'm a recovering alcoholic myself. You know, I'm like four plus years sober today. I ain't judging. But in that situation, his father was a little drunk. And, you know, whatever. And at one point in the night, I made a comment, a little joke, about their dog. I was referring to the dog. Everybody knew it. They had this cute little dog. Well, it was actually like a medium-sized dog. It was like a blue heeler. Beautiful dog. I made a little joke about the dog. Then his father turns to me and goes, What'd you say? What'd you say? Just glaring at me. And his stepmother's like, no, no, no. Uh, I forget what the fuck the guy's name is, but he's like, uh, no, no, no. So-and-so, no. He was referring to the dog. He was talking about the dog. Everybody knew I was talking about the dog. and um, But the father was drunk and he was just staring at me. Cut to the end, the end of the, the end of the tour, end of the production. We're done. We're wrapped. Thank God. Let's get on with our lives, right? It's fucking done. We're about to split. We're about to leave town, get on a Greyhound bus. His father and his stepmother are like, hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute, guys. We want to take you out for lunch. We want to treat you to lunch. And I remember thinking to myself, like, oh, God, like, no, I, like, I really don't want to sit down and have lunch with these people. I am done. I just want to get out of here. I'm done with the production. I'm done with this. I just want to move on. But it was kind of awkward because we were moving as a troop, right? And they invited us as a troop. So I was like, ugh. Okay, well, I, I'm not even hungry. I don't even want to eat. I don't want to be there. But if somebody wants to offer me a free lunch, I guess I could sit and eat it. So they drag us to this restaurant and we, we have lunch. And at the end of the lunch, the bill comes and the father goes to pay for it. Then he goes, Oh, by the way, you guys get tip. He was like looking right at me. Well, oh, by the way, you guys pay for the tip. So I was like, uh, okay, and I reach in my pocket. I was literally down to my last three dollars. Broke actor, broke actor. I, uh, I go in my pocket, and you know, I got like a, I got to travel cross country on a Greyhound. I'm about to catch a Greyhound cross country. I got the last three dollars to my name in my pocket. I pull it out. I'm like looking at it. I was like, how much, like, I guess, well, I don't know. Do we all toss in something? Like, why is this guy shaking us down for a tip? Right? Then he just, the father just grabs, grabs the change out of my hand and throws it on the table. (laughs) And that totally reinforced to me the idea of there's no such thing as a free lunch. Inherently, I knew it. And hey, I was an adult. I was a young adult. Uh, I was 19 years old and um, I didn't know better, but I should have known better. Like I I didn't want to be there in my heart, in my mind. I intrinsically knew I just didn't want to be there. But I went, and it wasn't like I was psyched for a free meal. I remember vividly. I wasn't even hungry. I didn't care about the meal. It was just an awkward situation, and I went along with it. And it was not a free lunch. You know what I mean? I had to suffer through this horrible company, and then the father shaking us down for a tip to pay the tip, then like grabbing the change at like, the last $3. I mean, he couldn't have known that. I don't think he knew that, but... You know, I wonder what he would have said if I turned to him and said, you know, I just went broke doing your son's play and this is the last three dollars and I'm about to get onto a greyhound travel country. Not that, you know, crying your problems to people means anything. You know what I mean? Like that's another thing, folks. There ain't no such thing as a free lunch and nobody cares about your problems. So I probably wouldn't have done anything. But, you know, I wonder what would have been said had I said that. I wonder what he would have said had I told him that. And um you know, it just kind of reinforced that idea to me because you know, I thought I was among well, I didn't think I was among friends, I knew I wasn't among friends, and that's the awareness that we have to have folks. This is life, this is business, this is livelihood and what might show up and present itself as a friend might easily become a foe. That's why it's so important and vital to be grounded in your business. Know how to operate, what you accept, what you don't accept. Say no when you mean no. Say yes when you mean yes. And be aware of it. This is a high-stakes game. Yes. So that brings us to our present. My present. And if it's relatable to y'all folks. If it's relatable to y'all folks. Because you know, I think a lot of times we're seeing especially during this pandemic, like y'all alone in the streets, cousin. You gotta fend for yourself. And um, it's also an opportunity to stand up and claim your personal sovereignty get going with that side business get going with that job search if you want to leave a job and start something new if you want to start your own business if you want to find a way to be more effective and less engaged with the politics of the current job you hold this is what i'm talking about on this episode it's very vital so, what this is all what this is all um, based around. I recently started a new job as a shipper receiver for a retailer. I worked for them for two and a half months. I recently quit last week, and. I quit for reasons that um, I believe in and I quit for reasons that I think will fulfill me in the long run and just from the experiences experiences that I've had as a working person and, um, you know... Generally speaking in the workplace there's a major problem going on with control control Now granted I'm speaking on the level of a everyday worker you know basic type of worker entry level positions but as I mentioned in some of my previous um renditions on this episode the things i was speaking about with um you know my performing life these situations have a way of finding themselves in every industry at every level you can't run from these things you can't run from the confrontations of a cynical unfeeling world motivated by self-interest and hell-bent on control that's what we're seeing in the workplace, in every industry. That's why there's so many turnover rates. That's why there's so many unhappy, unsatisfied co-workers. That's why there's so many unhappy, unsatisfied employers. They got these disgruntled employees that they don't know what to do with. There's high, tur- high turnover rates. And it's all symptomatic of a cynical... Self-centered, motivated by self-interest, control freak society that we've set ourselves up for, in my opinion. And um, one of the interesting parallels in regards to control that I've noticed and just how arbitrary a lot of times it is, is like, um, as I mentioned, um, I was a temporary laborer for a few years, and it served me very well, especially in the incarnation of Jonathan Ramcharan, the podcast, JR the P. Make sure to like, subscribe, share with a friend, follow, all that jazz. But in the early days of J.R. the P, Jonathan Ramcharan, the podcast, being a temp worker served me very well. And it was a situation where the more... You gave, the more you received. And it was a nice exchange. One hand washed the other. If you were dutiful and you showed up on time to your temporary gigs, a lot of times that employer would continuously book you and you would also develop a good reputation with the agency. So one hand washed the other. And it was a very fair Line of communication between employee and employer. The employer has a set amount of work that they need done. A set amount of work. The temporary laborer, temporary worker, they go and they do that set amount of work. And as long as that's fluid, it's all good. There was never any blah, 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 Why y'all up in my ear talking all that shit I ain't trying to hear? Get back, motherfucker. You don't know me like that. Get back, motherfucker. You don't know me like that. I ain't trying to play around. You know? Luda! You know? As long as you did your work, it was all good. And you lived to see another day. The employer kind of knew, hey, this is a precarious situation. I got a temporary laborer. I just want the work done. That's just what the agenda is, to get the work done. And as the employee, you're like, hey, well, if I get the work done, there's more work to come, and it kind of took care of itself. Very interestingly, though, I noticed that once you go full-time, I wound up going full-time with one of my employers. I was a temporary laborer. The company liked my work. So then they hired me on full-time. And once you go full-time with an organization, I notice a lot of times it's not even really about the work. It's about control. Something changes. They see that now they have leverage. In a certain sense, they have you over a barrel. Because when you're a temporary worker, you come and go. In a sense, you have the power. You see that, hey, they called your agency because they need work done, and um, yo, if if um, if you uh, if you deliver, they'll they'll bring you back. If you deliver and you do the job, they'll bring you back. But you're sort of in the driver's seat because you know they really don't have any power over you. You're the temp. You're just there. You know, and, you know, if it's up to you. Well, once you go full-time, the power dynamic changes. Now they want to control you. So, you know, you'll show up and you start doing your job like normal. It's just about the job. It's just about filling the need of the job. But then it becomes... By the way, um, Jonathan, did you um, blah, 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 and ebby, ebby, what about? Ebby, and all of a sudden, there's all this bureaucracy, inner office politics, control. And a lot of times, in these sort of entry level, working stiff type of jobs, they try to rule with an iron fist. They try to reign with an iron fist. And what that does is it breeds resentment. Because a lot of it is completely unnecessary. There's a lot of jobs that it's basically, if you do the job, there should be no more further discussion. But what people and what organizations are sick with is that Disease of ego, self importance, control, and they lord over people and they make big problems and big blah, blah, blah over nonsense over nothing. People get wrapped up and twisted up and, you know, just wrung through with the bullshit and BS of this backwards bureaucracy. They wind up shooting the fucking place up. God forbid. That's something that I would never do, but it's evident when you look in society. There's these stories of, you know, these workers most recently in the United States of America. Um, I think it was a um, courier, some sort of courier company, a delivery company, a shipping receiving company. A worker went in there and shot the place up. There's all these shootings that are happening in the workplace people hating their jobs, people under all this enormous pressure over nothing. We're not handling dynamite here. We're not building nuclear warheads. Yo, you're making a sandwich. You know, you're paving a driveway. You're shipping a box internationally. You know, you're flipping a burger. You're, you know... Washing a window. These aren't major situations, yet the control that is put upon the everyday person. And the lack of communication from co-worker to co-worker, it's sickening. And why it's so important and why I'm talking about this is because it can fester, it could break you down spiritually. It could turn you away from your fellow man. It can make you come home and take it out on your, on your family. It can make you take it out on your friends. Like as in my example there with my friend Dave, you know, he took some of his, uh, discontent and some of his, um, discontent and some of his, um, disagreeable mint Uh, I'm lost for the word at the moment Um, he took out some of his anger so to speak in his job out on me as a friend you know he shit on what I'm trying to do what I'm trying to be he shit on himself you know like we were working on a project together the little musical number from the top of the program you know it's he basically let his job dictate his worth You know, he's an angry, dejected person because some stupid employer treated him that way. When it's like, you are who you say you are. And um, you have strength in yourself. And you have to fight for it because it's not going to be handed to you and there's no such thing as a free lunch. The only thing in life is free is the Everlasting grace of the one and only God. Yeah. I have my higher power, and there's so much free grace in that. So free that I can't even gather it up. It's slipping through my hands all the time. It's just there for me to have. And, you know, I'm learning how to accept it. And that's part of what I'm talking about here and why it's so vital to keep that spirit of good loosely put to love your neighbor as you love yourself to not be on other people's case over petty nonsense and how to find that inner resiliency to step up and do your own Productions and goals and business. Part of what's going on with me, um, I took that job, that shipping warehouse receiving job, because um, I wanted to further my own endeavors. I recently started a production company, Noy Productions. Yes, Noy Productions. I want to branch out into um, more engaging podcast content. I want to branch out into documentary film. I want to branch out into feature film, comedic skits, you know. I want to broaden my horizons. Broaden them, broaden them horizons, you know. And um, I lived that life of a starving artist for many years where, you know, I was living on a shoestring, on a cheese string, Drunk and high all the time, you know. Um, looking for someone to just pluck me out of obscurity when the truth of the matter was I had to buckle down, focus, and do for myself. And that's tough because, you know, it took me a while to awaken to the reality. We live in a cynical world motivated by self-interest. Nobody really cares. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. As the economist Walter E. Williams so poignantly pointed out, you know, self-interest serves the general public. His example was, well, why do Midwestern farmers in America get up at the crack of dawn, you know, feeding cows, milking chickens, plucking pigs, like Why are they up there busting their ass at 5 a.m.? Because they care about their fellow man? Because they care if the kids get their little juice boxes and milk cartons at lunchtime in recess? No. It's because they can make that money selling agriculture. Selling their product. And... And by fulfilling their own needs, by serving their own self-interest, they provide products for the general public. So it's not necessarily a bad thing that general interest serves, private interest serves the general public. It's not such a terrible thing that we're motivated by our own self-interest. It's just that it can be a very complex terrain to navigate out there in the world of business. And you got to stand up and fend for yourself because ain't nobody just going to walk up and hand you something, right? And, um, you know, I think this is very inspiring. It's, you know, I mean, this may be news news To some of you, this might be a new way of thinking, that idea of entrepreneurship, doing for yourself, you know, self-starter. This may be something where it's like you've already had your own experiences um, creating your own company, creating your own business. So as a listener and a viewer to JR the P, I would very much benefit from your feedback. Hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com if you're like one of those persons who, you know, well, anything really across the board on this subject, what your feedback is, I could definitely benefit from it. But it's like something that's been on my mind lately and very inspiring and very important. Grounded in your business in the 21st century, 21st century? In the 21st century and in this time of, pandemic, moving to post-pandemic. Like, we're very much beginning the post-pandemic phase of this situation and being that self-starter and being aware of, hey, you know, we've been through a year and a bit of a lot of BS and bullshit and bureaucracy from our government, from our employers, from our friends, from our family, and it's, it's time for us to stand up and claim our own little slice of heaven, you know? So that's very much what this Noi Productions was and is for me. That's what it is for me. It's a way for me to step up and do my own thing untethered. So I recently quit the shipping receiving job that I was working in order to facilitate um, Noi Productions and to sustain myself. It takes money to make money. I got to work. So, you know, I was working this job as a shipper receiver and it just got to be a bit much. So, um, quick sip of water, water break balls, don't mind me balls. Whoa, Stupid. Pardon moi, folks. One minute. Drop my coaster. You know, we got a lot of um. What's the word? Class over here at Jr. The P. Got a coaster for my water. All right. So um. So basically um, I was working that job, shipper receiver, paying my bills, putting my money into my production company, Noi Productions. And things were going swimmingly, apparently. I mean, in their own words. This is the progress report from my employer. Well, my previous employer. Um, you know, stupid little progress report. They gave me a, what do they call it? New hire evaluation form. Logistics. And, you know, they break it down into several categories. Um, dependability. Attends work as scheduled and is on time. Meets expectations. Trust, integrity, and respect. Conduct. Associate displays positive attitude, is a team player. Meets expectations. Adventurous spirit. Initiative. Takes initiative. Is flexible and adaptable to the business needs. Meets expectations. World-class teams, knowledge, displays, and understanding of department procedures and uses tools and equipment in a safe manner. Meets expectations. Productivity meets productivity targets as established in the department. Meets expectations. Owner, operator, preparedness, and accountability. Ready to start shift with badge and required. PPE, where applicable, safety shoes, harness, etc. Accepts responsibility for attitude, actions, results, meets expectations. 30-day supervisor comments. So these are the comments my supervisor had for me after 30 days of employment. Comment on associate's overall performance. Jonathan, it's a pleasure... Working with you. You take pride in your work. You ask questions when you need clarity. Make suggestions on process. You're a great fit for this role, and once COVID shutdown is over, you will be ready for the full process with everyone coming into work in the facility. You're always early, arriving ready to start, work on time, very dependable. You're a great communicator in written or verbal. You work safely and will be getting formal safety training starting February, starting Friday, April 16th. You know, in their own words, I'm this great asset to the company. Yet this supervisor, that, this supervisor that I had, in her own words, I'm this great asset to the company. Yet you know, she was driving me nuts, driving me nuts, folks. Jonathan did do do this. Jonathan did do do that. Jonathan did do do that. Yeah. Controlling me. <laughs> They say I'm dependable. They say that I execute all procedures um, in an effective, efficient manner. I work safely. I arrive on time. I'm a great communicator. I'm dependable. I'm this, I'm that. Yet, she nagged me to death. Jonathan, you you do this? Jonathan, do you do this? Yeah, 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 yeah. Controlling me. That's the type of shit that The average person just cannot stand. And granted, there's something to say that, you know, it's not so much that the offended was truly offended. It's just that I have wounds that she has touched. Makes sense to an extent. You know, like, People can't offend you. You have to take offense. So when I say she was nagging me and upsetting me, it's not so much that she was nagging me and upsetting me. It's just that there's a part of me that holds resentment for being controlled. And rightfully or wrongfully, this is something that's in every industry and it's inescapable. I mean... What, just because I quit this job, that means that as I go on as a actor, stand-up comedian, film production, entrepreneur, as I go on in these different outlets, am I not going to come up against controlling people? Of course I am. It's just that... it was a bit much. One day she even told me how to use scotch tape. She had sent me upstairs to like tape some... Letters, some, tape some, uh, I guess, tape some organizational pieces together. I don't know, whatever, organizing some fucking bullshit with letters and numbers and taping them, taping, taping these things onto things, you know, scotch tape. Have you ever used scotch tape in your life, folks? Any of y'all viewers and listeners? Have you ever taped a piece of paper to something with scotch tape? I was up, I was taping some shit together with scotch tape and she comes up, Jonathan, make sure that when you're using the scotch tape, that you, (laughs) I'm a 34, 34 year old man. Fucking losing my voice here. I'm a fucking 34, 34 year old man. You're telling me how to use scotch tape? I'm a, I'm fucking flabbergasted. I'm just like above and beyond. Then there were other discrepancies. As she had that very controlling spirit, it was obvious that she had made enemies in the building. Now, in this situation, it's a warehousing facility. And um, I don't know if you can attest to this, but there's a thing that can happen sometimes in the workplace where a department has a bad name, so then they are disliked throughout the organization. So we had a very small department amongst other departments in this warehouse. And she, and this supervisor of mine, she had this very controlling spirit. She nagged and nitpicked and henpecked to death. She was always in other people's business. She was always babbling at the security guards, babbling at this person, babbling at that person. And I soon noticed, oh, the other workers in the building have aligned me with her. They view me through her perspective. They see me and her as the same. So I would get a lot of like um, cold treatment, a lot of pettiness, a lot of argumentative kind of nonsense, uncooperative, negative dealings and interactions with the other co-workers based upon the overall dislike for my department. This lady had no tact. She would just like, like I said, everybody was wrong. She was always talking about everybody. The security guards. They don't know what they're doing. And she would walk up to them and, Why did you do this? The door is unlocked. Blah, 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 blah. She would like chew people out. And I'm like looking at her. I'm like, You know, it's common sense to know that we live in a world of cynicism motivated by self-interest. Nobody even cares. Nobody really cares. You could tell somebody the plain, honest to God's truth. But if you tell it to them in a way in which you reprimand them or you talk down to them, they're going to resent it, even if it's the truth. So she's going around barking at all these people. It was obvious, oh, we're a disliked department. Because if you ream somebody out, and then in the next breath, you ask them for a favor, what do you think the answer is going to be? And that was very much the situation. She would chew out these security guards. She would chew out these forklift drivers. And then in the next breath, oh, can you do us a favor? Can you go move that skid? Can you do this for us? Can you do that for us? And these people would just like look at us, our department. They would just look at our department like we were disliked. And aside from that, there was a larger picture where it's like, you know, why I think there's value in what I'm saying here is we often forget how interconnected we are with people. And in my perspective, it's not to control people. It's to deal with them fairly and civilized that way one hand washes the other. It was a situation where, basically, I had to deal with a lot of administrative people that resented the daily tasks of a warehouse environment. Looking for boxes, opening up boxes, flattening cardboard, throwing out garbage. These people resented their work, but it wasn't me that created this work for them. It was the work that was in their job description. And if you notice, a lot of times in the workplace, a lot of people are trying to get other people to do their work for them, as if we're stupid, as if we're retarded. You know, like somebody will walk up to you. Hey, do you mind? Blah, 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 blah. Actually, I would mind. Why don't you do it, seeing as it's your responsibility? So there was a lot of that going on. My job was to receive the incoming packages. The packages come in, I put them into the stock, into the circulation. That's it. I receive the packages. I record the packages, I put them into stock. But then you had all these like administrative people, these buyers, these designers, these people that are, you know, they 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 import, they buy, they make the purchasing decisions for the products. They would come into the warehouse to look at the products. And they would be on my case constantly. Not because it was their job to, but because, hey, I'm a convenient scapegoat. Where's this box? Blame it on the shipper receiver. Blame it on the receiving guy. Where's this box? Where's this box? The box is where the boxes are kept. The problem isn't that I'm not doing my job. The problem is that you resent your job. You don't want to do the job It's your job to go look for your products. I put your products where they're supposed to be. Your products are where they're supposed to be. It is now your job to go and get them. It's not my job. Yet, it's more of a convenience to blame me. A scapegoat. That's what everybody in this society is looking for, generally speaking. A scapegoat. I fucked up at stand-up comedy because this reason, that reason... I never made it as an actor because of this reason, that reason. I can't start my own business because of this reason, that reason. When the reason is you're not taking personal accountability. So that's the position I was in. I was in this position where anybody, and I'm talking like dozens of people, like dozens of different administrative people, buyers, you know, retail Retail specialists, dozens of these people would just show up and be like nagging me. Where's this? Where's that? Where's that? Where's that? When I did the job, the problem isn't that I'm not doing my job. The problem is that they resent their job. It's easier for them to blame me than for them to roll up their sleeves and take care of their own business. I, got, I already read you guys my uh, assessment. According to my supervisor and all the upper people, according to my supervisor and manager, I was doing my job very well and I was a ideal candidate for the position. But yet there was all these people that would just appear and decide to give me guff and give me shit because they thought hey, I'm just going to, I don't know, control that person. It's really dumbfounding how people think they can just control others, tell them what to do, and people should just jump to it. It's really mind-boggling, and... This is so important to think about because you can't run from this. You can't escape from this. And I know that in order for me to grow my business, Noi Productions, I know in order for me to go forward in anything I do, I have to be able to deal with these things tactfully and from a detached, non-personal position. It's nothing personal. strictly business. So here was the breaking point. I, um, as I mentioned, I had the controlling supervisor. There was a lot of inner office, facility, politics going on. Departments at war with each other. A lot of, you know, a lot of unrest in the job climate. In the job working environment. There was a lot of unrest and problems pre-existing my employment. There was all these people that just, hey, at the drop of a hat, they could decide, hey, today I'm Jonathan's boss and just walk up to me and start babbling at me. And I, I was getting really resentful of having to deal with them, especially when it's like, yo, I'm innocent. I'm innocent. Like, I did my job. The problem isn't that I'm not doing my job. The problem is that you resent having to do your job. Roll up your sleeves. Go deal with your own bullshit. Stop bothering me. <laughs> so there was all this stuff going on, and you know the final straw was uh, I made a coworker cry. <laughs> I made this woman cry. <laughs> Jonathan's mean. One second, folks. So let me tell you about this. So, as I mentioned, I'm the shipper receiver. Shit comes in, I track it, then I put it into stock. This one buyer, administrative person, She was consistently, constantly sending me these emails. Jonathan, where's this package? Jonathan, where's that package? Jonathan, where's this package? Jonathan, where's that package? She must have sent me like a dozen emails. And every time, there was never a point. I'd investigate the situation. Turns out, the package was exactly where it was supposed to be. The problem was, she didn't want to roll up her sleeves and go find it. We're talking skids of products. If you can imagine, like, you know, a pallet skid. Imagine a skid of stacked boxes. Just a bunch of stacked boxes. And her job is to look for her product on the skid. There's no way in which I can favor one person or the other. There's no way I can make anything other than what it is. It's a bunch of mixed matched products on a skid. And when they come into the warehouse, my job is to track them, record them, and then go place the skid into rotation. Her job then, her job then is to go find her product. And I can't favor her over another person. It's a warehouse of products. It's either on the skid or it's somewhere else, but that's basically it. And that's basically the extent of my responsibility. And every time she would send me these emails, Jonathan, where's this package? Jonathan, where's this package? And when I investigated, it would always be that, oh, the package is exactly where it was supposed to be or we have to, you know follow some of the warehouse procedures. Sometimes it takes a minute or two or, you know, a couple days for the package to surface. It's just the routine standards and practices of the building. There's nothing I can do about it. So she'll be continuously nagging me and henpecking me with these emails. I explain the situation Explain the situation very politely to her. It was never enough. Then one day she made like an ominous comment to me. You know, she comes into the warehouse area, you know, and uh, she's complaining about, you know, her job as if it was my responsibility. Well, you know, Jonathan, something new that I get to put on my resume, breaking down boxes. Yeah, I guess I could put that on my resume now as part of my job description. Which it is. She was like bitching at me that she has to break down boxes. It's not my responsibility to give her orders. Like, I'm just trying to... I'm just trying to... um, follow and carry out the orders of my supervisor my supervisor was trying to my supervisor told me hey we have to um you know set it up that these administrative people these buyers these office people they have to clean up after themselves right so in our department we have a garbage area a recycling area and we have a certain responsibility to enforce that. Or else people will throw shit everywhere because people are child-minded, cynical, and self-centered. It doesn't even cross their mind. Hey, why not throw my garbage in the garbage? They usually think like, hey, why not throw it on the ground for some other fucking person to deal with? Unfortunately, that's how people think. So a part of my job was to enforce the um, you know, cleanliness of the place. So, you know, at one point we had spoken to, in a general sense, not like pointing anybody out individually, but we had spoken to her supervisor, like, hey, your department, everybody, can we just reinforce the idea of cleaning up after ourselves? Wasn't anything in particular pointed at anybody. It was just a general um, memo. Just a reminder, folks, we have to clean up after ourselves. She comes in and loses her shit. I guess it's a part of my job description now to break down boxes. <laughs> yeah, it is. Why the fuck are you telling me this? Am I the CEO of the company? Am I personally paying your paycheck? Like, I'm just a fucking guy working here. You're out of your mind. So she's over here bitching at me. Blah, blah, blah. So I guess that's a part of my job description now. Breaking down boxes. And then she goes, um... You know, as I'm walking by, she points at one of her boxes. As I mentioned, I'm the receiver. So, you know, she points at one of the boxes that I received for her. It had her name on it. She's walking past me and she kicks the box. She kicks the box and goes, "Um, you're going to get to know my name, Jonathan. You're going to get to know my name. Now, I dealt with everything professionally up until that point. And I'm not interested in what other people say as long as I can just get them out of my face. But that actually concerned me. It upset me. Now, I should be at a place where it's like, I'm not moved by the words of people. I'm not moved by the careless, cynical, unthinking, unfeeling motivations and actions Of this crazy world we live in. I should be at that point. I'm searching for that. Though there is a certain line that I can't have crossed. She made a very ominous remark to me in the vein of a threat. I'm gonna get to know her name. What the fuck does that mean? So later that day, right in front of my supervisor, my supervisor was standing there, that certain co worker. She was standing there as well. And I call over to my supervisor. Hey, I want to talk to you two for a second. Um so and so, you're very negative. She goes, What? I'm like you're a very negative person in your dealings with me. I've explained things to you very peacefully, very politely, and I didn't appreciate your little comment there. I'm gonna get to know your name? What is that supposed to mean? You're a negative person, and you know, you need to, you're just a negative person. You're negative and you're nonsensical, illogical in your dealings. And I kept hammering that point. You're negative, nonsensical, and irrational in your dealings. And I don't appreciate it. And I won't tolerate it. And I kept hammering that point, And the lies. The lies that came out of this woman's mouth. No, I didn't mean it that way. I was just saying, you know, like... I kicked the box and said, Jonathan, you're going to get to know my name. I mean, it wasn't a threat or an ominous comment. You know how sometimes you kick a box violently in front of a person and then mutter you're going to get to know my name <laughs> as I kick a box in front of you like like you know no I wasn't no Jonathan you do a great job no you do a great job the way you record record this stuff And so she like backpedaled and lied to my face and I just kept dropping it. I'm like, look, you're illogical, irrational, and negative. I want nothing to do with you. And in that moment, I knew I gotta go. I gotta go. I can't be here no more. This is just too overwhelmingly negative. And there's a certain amount of fortitude that you must have. In the working world, there's a certain amount of give that you must be willing to accommodate. Um, One of the things that really motivated me as of late is the landmark autobiography, Up from Slavery. Take a look at that mug by Booker T. Washington, Up from Slavery. Didn't he look like the guy from uh, Allstate? Are you in good hands? (laughs) Up From Slavery by Booker T. Washington. Um, Real handsome slave, too. Look at him. Look at that face. Oh, Booker. Can you come and fix the radiator? It's awfully hot, Booker. Yes, ma'am. Get over here and eat this pussy, Booker. (laughs) Booker T. Washington his autobiography, Up From Slavery, this man was born a slave and through his hard work and due diligence, you know, he worked and he became a a tradesman of sorts and he had instilled that in his academic dealings and he founded the Tuskegee, well, help found, found, founded the Tuskegee Institute and, um, was a great example of having that backbone and fortitude in your business dealings and in your work life. And, you know, much inspiration from this book. I highly recommend it. I'll post a... There's a link that I can post. I did a review of this book, Up From Slavery by Booker T. Washington. I recently read this in the beginning of the year. And, you know... There's a certain amount of fortitude that the working person must suffer, must go through, must be willing to rise to in order to come out the other end. And um, the other end of you know personal discovery, personal growth in your business, in your work life, in your family life, it's just a strengthening, galvanizing uh, learning opportunity when you go through these situations. And I was definitely up for the challenge. As I mentioned, I was supporting myself. I recently started my own production company, Noi Productions. But it came to the point after I had that uh, uh, confrontation with that co-worker, I realized I can't be here. This is just far too negative. And there was also other factors as well. Um, the job was like... Um, I was commuting a grand total of like four hours a day. I misjudged how far away the job was. You know how sometimes you use Google Maps? They try to make it all rose-colored. You know, it's like, oh, it's like an hour and a half. That's more like an hour. Like You know how you play those games in your mind? Well, it's kind of like an hour and you kind of miscalculate sometimes when you be fucking with Google Maps. Well, I really shit the bed. And um, I thought that it would be like a two-hour round-trip commute, which is pretty acceptable as a working person. Turned out it was actually double that. So I was like commuting four hours a day. I had this overlord supervisor. I had all these uh, office politics going on. I had all these egotistical people that would just swoop in and take a boss type of mentality with me. And it's just like, yo, I can't be doing this no more. I'm done. And I don't, I didn't like that it brought me to that point. You know, like that I had to get to this point where I was moved to have to confront a person that way. And um, that's when I realized, you know, maybe there's more going on here than just the fact that this is a dysfunctional job place. Maybe there's more going on. Maybe there's more inner growth that I need to be working with because I shouldn't be moved by this. So it was a growing opportunity as well. And um, I did it very classy. You know, I, uh, I planned. I was... I had that realization and then I'm like well you know what I still do have the financial responsibilities as a man so you know let me get another month work of work let me tidy up some of the things I have to do financially and let me put in my notice you know I put in a notice Um, I gave my employer the heads up that hey I'm on my way out I'm quitting I did everything professionally. I tied up my loose ends. I kept kept, um, kept my mind on the financial obligations that I have. I kept my mind on the obligations I had to my employer. You know, I gave them notice. And um, it was very um, strange the way it was received, actually. Um, a lot of people that I didn't expect came up to me, well, Jonathan, we're going to miss you. You were very professional and courteous and timely and, you know, efficient in your work and all the best to you moving forward and blah, 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 and da, 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 yada, yada. Sure, it felt nice, but it's also the situation that I know all that. I don't need them to tell me that. I know that that's how I deal. I know that's the personal growth that I've learned in my experience. I know that's the value that I hope to bring to Noi Productions, to my stand-up comedy, to my acting, and into my future working endeavors. I know that's the value that I bring. I don't need them to tell me that. And I knew I was in the right. So while it did feel good to have that affirmation, I'll take it with a grain of salt. I don't know why these people said the things they said. I had a few people come up and give me these heartfelt departures and thank yous, and, you know, they... they, Fuck, I was like, by the end of my shift, my last shift, I'm like, I don't even want to go. By the end of my last shift, I was like, I don't even want to leave. They try to give me chocolate. They came with this big box of chocolate. Jonathan, can we give you a departing box of chocolate? Jonathan, Jonathan, it was a pleasure working with you. Jonathan. Well, it's unfortunate you didn't display any of that while you worked with me, but, um... No thank you, and thank you nonetheless. And before I wrap this up, the major importance of this was what really put this whole working thing into perspective for me in this job situation that I just recently went through. I recently got attacked by a goose. <coughs> You know, like a Canadian goose? The female goose is called the goose. The male goose is called a gander. I got attacked by a gander. You know, if you want to take a gander at this, folks. On the job site. You know? Them little fuckers are vicious, man. Like, you ever walk up next to a mating gander? You know, he got his little goose girlfriend. You know, she's just sitting over there at the nest. Right? Well, the gander, that little them little fuckers are vicious, man. I, I walk by this gander, right, and he's looking at me, right? Little fucker just hissed at me. You know, they'd be vicious during that mating season, right? So, you know, it's like springtime, you know, and every day when I'd be entering the warehouse, I would walk past this little... Family, You know, the goose, mother goose, you know, she's laying on her eggs. Then there's the male gander, you know, he's just staring at you. <clears throat> and um, the circle of life, the beautiful, the beautiful um, gifts of nature. They were a goose family. You know, they had the little goslings, you know, the goose, the goslings, the ganders. There's this beautiful little goose family, like in the parking lot. And, um, you know, but the mother goose, you know, she's tending to the nest. One day I figured, hey, you know, like why not, you know, she's, all, she's just sitting there all day. It's really interesting how gooses uh, do the whole family thing. The mother goose, she kind of sits at the nest and guards the nest. Then the gander goose, the father goose, the gander, he perches up on a little hill and he just kind of, he just kind of watches. He like watches to make sure that nobody fucks with the, the goose and the goslings, Right? So one day I got a little, I don't know, maybe I got above myself. I, I I chopped up some apples. I'm like, I know, like I remember I saw a goose eating an apple once. I'm like, I think they like apples. I think they like apples. So I chopped up some apples for the for the gooses and the goslings. So, you know, I, I kind of walk up near the nest and I started throwing a couple slices of apples at the, the goose and the goslings, right? And, you know, the mother goose, you know, I remember she was just sitting there. She goes... She's just like looking at me, right? And I'm like, oh, she's kind of, kind of, I don't know. She was just kind of regal, very kind of a regal look. She's like looking at me, right? And then all of a sudden I hear like this I hear like this sound, right? I, I turn and I look. There's the fucking gander goose. The fucking gander, he's swooping in on me, right? Right? He was just, I was like, holy shit, I hightailed it out of there. It was a wild goose chase, man. I grabbed my bag. I'm like, ah! I, su- I just started fucking booking it. Ah! It's flying in on me, right? It was terrifying. And in those three seconds, like, you know, it is amazing. the The gamut of emotions that you can run through. In three seconds, you know, when you're getting attacked by a goose, like the, the gamut of emotions, right? Because I went from terrified when I first saw that little fucker, like flying in on me. I went from terrified the first second, then by like second three, I'm like, yo, am I going to have to kill this fucking thing? I'm going to ring its fucking neck right in front of his little goslings. I'm going to ring this motherfucker's neck right in front of his girlfriend and his goslings, you know? A post uh, a post a uh, video, I took a little video. It's kind of a shitty video. I took it from like, like I said, you can't get close to a fucking goose nest, you know, if you unless you want to get fucking chased out of there by a gander. You know, you can't even get fucking close to a goose nest, so I had to take it from a distance. Kind of a shitty video. That's why I have respect for all them fucking David Attenborough types, right? Oh, Royal Canadian Goose. Oh. Ah. In their natural habitat, in the parking lot of a warehouse. The Canadian gander and goose and goslings. I'm David Attenborough. I have respect for them fucking David Suzuki, David Attenborough types, man. Them getting involved with Mother Nature is a fucking headache, man. Those assholes are crazy, right? Anyway, I'll share this video with you guys. But um, I laugh it off and I slough it off as getting attacked by a goose. But um, where this comes into play and it's so relatable and inspirational is like, yo, these are the stakes of life. What does a goose, what does a gander, what does a gosling do every fucking day? They get up and they get on that goose hunt. You know, what does a squirrel do every day? It gets up and gets on that squirrel hunt. You know, nutty for nuts. You know, what does a fucking monkey do every day? I don't know. Monkey business, right? business, you know, monkey see, monkey do, you know, monkey see, monkey do, folks, you know, this is the stakes of life, we got to defend them with everything we got, it's our livelihood, it's how we find food, shelter, sustenance, spiritual meaning in the honesty of a day's work, our connection with our higher power. And these are high stakes. I slap it off. I slough it off. I hoff it off. I yuck it up about this goose family. And this father goose, you know, this gander. <laughs> hissing at us. Hissing at me, rather. One morning, I saw the beautiful goose family out for a goose walk. They were doing like a goose strut, goose waddle. You know, you got the fucking gander at the front, you got the goose at the back, and the little goslings, and they're walking around. I'm like, wow, look at the little baby goose. Goslings, aren't they cute? I went into work. I come out at the end of my shift. There's this seagull. The fucking thing had to be the size of a like a like a terrier. Like a terrier dog. This this fucking seagull was like this big. If you can see it on camera, folks. It was like that big. It was the size of like a it was probably like I would guess it was like ten pounds. It was this fucking disgusting. Uh, I don't know, like maybe eight like seven, seven, eight pounds. Like it was the size of like a cat. It was a big fucking seagull. This ugly little thing, right? <coughs> it's a fucking ugly seagull. It had one of the baby goslings in its mouth. I'm sorry, folks. Sorry to be this crass. But these are the stakes we're dealing with. Live or die. Life or death. Imprisonment or sovereignty. Freedom or capture. This is a high stakes game that we're playing. And that gander goose. And that mama goose. They did everything they could to protect them children. But that fucking flying seagull got one of them. And it was tossing the dead body around, trying to fucking swallow. It was trying to eat this dead gosling hole. It was trying to eat a. It was one of them. It was a horrific sight. It was like Mother Nature at her worst. Asshole of Mother Nature. And I remember I just. It was heartbreaking. I I looked over and I saw the mama goose, right? She was sitting there at her nest, right? And she, she looked up. She was just staring. Nothing she could do. She had to protect the other baby goslings, right? She had a whole little... She had other little baby goslings to look after. And, you know, she's just staring over at the seagull, eating one of her young. And then it all kind of came full circle to me. You know, a part of me was a little bit emotionally pissed off. Like, what's that fucking goose squawking at me for? All I tried to do was give his bitch an apple, right? i bring his stupid bitch a fucking apple and he's like screaming at me, <coughs> flying at me and shit. This is the stakes of life. It's a high stake game we're playing here. And while it feels like a game, it's far from it. These are the stakes of life. And finding that inner strength grounded in your business because these are the stakes that we're playing. These geese, goslings and ganders and gooses, they really exemplified that for me. Seeing them at work. Every day they were at work, building their nest, watching out for their family. And you slough it off as some funny thing. Ah, you scare a goose. Ah, you run up on a goose. You got a goose hissing at you. And, ah, but they're, they're playing a high-stake game. They're trying to survive. And in our world, and our society, we live in a society, we live in a world of cynicism, motivated by self-interest. Nobody really cares. And that's not particularly a bad thing. As the economist Walter E. Williams once said, private interest serves the general public. In his words, I paraphrase, why does a farmer get up in the morning to milk the chickens, pluck the cows, you know, fan the hogs. Why does he do it? Because he cares about society and his fellow man? (laughs) Or does he do it because he can make money by selling those goods? And in his private interest, he gets the needs out to people and serves the general public. It's not always a bad thing that private interest and cynicism are so rampant in this world. It's not always a bad thing, but it's a reality. And it's a high-stakes game. It's not just going to be handed to you. It's not just going to be handed to me. And during this time of pandemic... And in light of the situation that just happened with me in the job I recently quit, I felt very inspired to speak at length about business perspective grounded in one's business. I feel very fortunate that I'm on my way as a um, up-and-comer in the business world, Noy Productions. I look forward to any feedback I can get from y'all. Whether you're experienced yourself in your business, in your affairs, which whether you're an up-and-comer with your ideas and entrepreneurship, it'd be very much appreciated. And, um, you know, hit me up again. jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. And, you know, we can connect that way. All the best to you folks. Um... You know, the best is yet to come. I personally believe that. And um, having love for our fellow man, personal accountability, you know, love for our fellow men and women and children and our eyes on ourself and that Spirit of personal sovereignty and accountability. Because there ain't no free lunches. Unfortunately. Hallelujah. It's your old chuckle buddy. Guess who? Jonathan James Ramcharan. Reporting live for duty on this magnificent. June 3rd in the year of our Lord, 2021. I hope that was of value and interest to you folks. An extended cut grounded in your business. Very vital during these times and onward. This show is available on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, my own website, janathan-ramcharan.com. And as always, folks, if you're joining the show, getting some laughs, chuckles, gags, guffaws, chortles. If you are digging the show, folks, please help my black ass out. Share me with a friend. Till next time, folks. You live it. You love it. You realize it. Aight? The best is yet to come.